60, 70, 80. It didn't seem so fast. 90, 100, 110. Now that felt fast. I stopped watching it thinking that it would be safer to watch the road. There was no one at the intersection, so it was uneventful to cruise through the red light. The descent to a manageable speed so that I could make a turn took a lot longer than it usually did. Well, at least I wasn't late. A few days later, I received a letter in the mail with pictures of my truck going through intersections. They were only about 30 seconds apart, according to the traffic cameras. The letter stated, Mr. Cooper, you have been fined $500 for failing to stop at a red light and traveling at a speed of 120 miles per hour. Hmm. Well, I knew what I was going to say when I stood before the judge. Honorable judge, I'm from out of state, and I did not realize the traffic laws of Missouri. Besides, other people that morning were trying to keep up with me. Did they get a fine also? I remember seeing a sign that said 160 on it. I was going well below that. And isn't being on time a virtue? Do I have your attention yet? None of this stuff happened. Young people never drive over the speed limit. It is ridiculously dangerous. I simply wanted to get your attention and introduce a mindset that might be present here this morning. This morning, we are going to talk about our responsibility for our sin and God's judgment of it. Romans chapter 2, verses 12 through 16 reveals that God shows no partiality toward a sinner by categorizing him into one of two groups, those who have sinned without the law and those who have sinned under the law. You and I fall into one of these groups. Either we have lived a life of sin without knowing God's law or the law of Moses and the Bible, or we've lived a life of sin having heard God's law and the Bible. It does not matter which of these groups you fall into. You deserve God's judgment. Don't deceive yourself. No quantity or quality of human good works can make up for our sinfulness. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All sin requires a blood sacrifice. Hebrews 9.22 states, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Jesus paid for our sin as a substitute, making atonement and securing our redemption. By grace, through faith alone, in Christ alone, we are justified before God. Apart from Christ's life, death, and resurrection, there is no salvation for any man. These truths are absolute. Christians are guilty of saying, well, those who have never heard the gospel will not incur the wrath and punishment of God. This is incorrect. Parents may also believe that if they don't tell their children the gospel, they will spare them the condemnation of God. Not only is this also incorrect, it is in direct disobedience to our Lord's command to make disciples. Parents, make disciples little disciples. 
Start at home diligently teaching your children and pray that he will open their hearts in repentance and faith. The Scripture will show you today that all men are guilty of God's judgment regardless of what they've heard. All men will be judged by whether they obey God's Word, and there is an urgency to communicate this need to them because Jesus will judge the hearts of all men. First, all men are guilty of punishment by God regardless of what they've heard. Let's consider the phrase, all who have sinned. This is not speaking about the fact that anyone who commits any one act of sin deserves to perish. That will be discussed later. This phrase speaks of a life choice that is bent on sin. Donald Gray Barnhouse states it like this, the whole life is here looked at as a unit, and that life was a choice of sin. In other words, every man is born with a propensity to sin. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, the delusion of human thinking causes men to compare divine law to their own human law and think that God is going to judge on the same basis that is used in our human courts. Man has adopted this view because he cannot see our heart. Man thinks he is guilty and does not deserve any punishment. God, on the other hand, who sees the hearts and thoughts of every man, judges that a man steals because he is a thief and sins because he is a sinner. Ignorance of the Word of God does not preclude anyone from salvation. In the phrase, without the law, Paul is speaking specifically of Gentiles or non-Jews who haven't heard the law of Moses. For today's listener, that's you and me, most of America, and the rest of the world. In addition to being ignorant of the law of Moses, which gave Israel a picture of God's holiness and his attributes, it also speaks of being ignorant of the Bible and specifically the gospel. Paul is making it clear that he is speaking to everyone in the world who has not been exposed to the word or words of God. Every man will perish apart from the saving work of Christ. The phrase, will also perish without the law, makes clear the consequence of living a life of willful sinfulness will result in perishing. Perish means to suffer eternal death. Apolumi, the Greek word for perish, pertains to destruction, not annihilation. It has to do with that which is ruined and is no longer usable for the purpose that it was intended. When we read Scripture passages that refer to the eternal state of the lost, we find that their punishment is spoken of as death, destruction, and that they will perish. Donald Gray Barnhouse also recalls this time sitting in his class under R.A. Torrey when R.A. Torrey explained that the word death is applied to sinners while they're still existing, but existing in a wrong way. While they have life in the sense of existence, they do not have true life, real life, in the sense of right existence. 1 Timothy 5.6 says it like this, in speaking about the widow that does not trust in the Lord but is self-indulgent, she is dead even while she lives. 
And of the believer, the opposite is said in Ephesians 2, verse 5. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. In also speaking of unbelievers, in Revelation 21, 8, but as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Life eternal is, however, a right existence, knowing the true God, possessing the life that Jesus Christ manifests in you. Spiritual death, then, is not mere non-existence, but a wrong, wretched, debased, and devilish existence. Even when the word is used as a noun, when it described, as it, when it described the woman anointing Jesus' feet with a precious ointment, it was translated waste. Perdition, waste, destruction, perishing, it is always the same Greek word and therefore cannot mean cessation of existence. So when we quote our favorite verse, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, the word in our text today, but have everlasting life. We're telling the world that they don't need to perish, that if they do not come to faith in Christ, they will perish. They will go into eternal destruction, a place of conscious and unending torment, the opposite of an eternal, never-ending life of joy in the presence of God. By hearing the Word of God, your placement here today is in this group that have been taught the Word of God or the law of Moses and the gospel and among the ones who have sinned under the law. The phrase, all who have sinned under the law, speaks specifically to the Jews who have heard the law of Moses. The Jews knew the law because they were taught from childhood. The words of God were to be continually before them in life to redirect them to love God with all their heart. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4 through 9 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Unfortunately, the law became something that was merely heard repeatedly and not taken to heart. You may have come in here today and have never heard any of God's words, but by sitting here today, you have placed yourself in the group who have been taught the Word of God, the law of Moses, the Bible, the gospel, and are among the ones who have sinned under the law. Before you leave today, you will hear the truth of the gospel, and if you haven't already responded in faith, you will need to make a response, either to repent 
and believe or to refuse and perish. Back to our text. All who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. The word translated judged carries the meaning of condemnation. This passage makes a pronouncement that those who had heard God's law in former times, that is the law of Moses, and those who have heard God's law today, the gospel, will be condemned if they do not respond in repentance and faith to its message. Listen to Hebrews 10, 26-31. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy under the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So we have established that all people everywhere stand guilty before God for their sins, whether or not they have read or heard the Bible. The heart of every man is bent towards sin and away from God. But how is this fair? How can God judge people for breaking a law that they've never heard This brings us to our second point, which is that all men will be judged by whether or not they obey the law. Because all men actually do know the law. It is not enough to be a patron of the Word of God. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God. As was obvious from the example of the Jews 2,000 years ago and even before that, Hearers only are not righteous before God. Going back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 through 9, God's emphasis in hearing the law was to instruct them to love Him with their whole heart. His words were to be on their heart. They were to diligently teach them to their children, talk about them when they sat down, when they walked, when they laid down, and when they rose up. They were to be bound as a sign on their hand and as frontlets between their eyes. They were to write them on the doorpost of their house and on their gates. This may sound foreign and even ridiculous to tie God's word to your hands and write it on your house and on your gates. The meaning of the injunction to the Israelites was, with regard to the statutes and precepts given to them, that they should bind them for a sign on their hand and give them, have them as frontlets between their eyes was that they, should, that they should keep them directly and distinctively in view and carefully attend to them. They were to deliberately make them a focus in their lives. It was to be the driving motivation for their lives. But soon after their return from Babylon, they began to interpret this junction literally by accordingly writing out portions of the law and wearing it on their person. 
This practice became a badge of their spirituality to be seen and praised by men, but not God. The focus on their heart had turned away from worshiping God to receive the praise and worship of man. Paul used the Greek word akroate, translated hearers, which means those whose business it is to listen. We cannot be like those in college who audited a class, but were not required to take the test, and they didn't get a grade. As John MacArthur says, God recognizes no mere auditors of His Word. Many people think that they are Christians merely because they go to church, listen, or audit the sermon every week, listen to Christian music on the radio, go to a weekly Bible study, and hear great discussion about the Word of God. God's Word says that they are deceived. James 1, 22-24 says, But be doers of the Word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the Word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. Only performers of the Word of God will be justified. Our next phrase says, but the doers of the law who will be justified. Doers of the law are those who come to God in repentance and faith. Apart from Christ, they cannot keep the law. The law is what leads us to Christ. After we repent and believe, our lives of obedience through the power of the Holy Spirit give evidence of our salvation in Christ and we will be justified. The Scripture is not saying that obeying the law will produce justification. Just as all who have sinned refers to all mankind who has a bent or inclination only toward living a life of sin, we must realize that Paul is speaking here of how those who through the power of the Holy Spirit obey God's Word and are going to be recognized as justified on the day of judgment. How then can those who have not heard or been taught the law be able to obey the law, be held accountable without excuse, and be declared guilty? There are four reasons our guilt and accountability are proper. Number one, in review, look back to chapter 1, verse 19 and 20. We know that all men are without excuse because God has revealed Himself to the world through creation. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. God has revealed Himself to every man through creation. Number two, we see their conduct condemns them. Look back to today's text with me at verse 14 and the beginning of verse 15. For when the Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their heart, Unsaved men, without the Bible, know God's law by their very nature. They do good things. 
They're honest people. They're kind, respectful, generous, honest in business, faithful to their wives, loving to their children. Even many secular judicial systems reflect God's judgment. Although the list of ethical behavior seems to be getting shorter, stealing, murder, and other forms of immorality are considered illegal and wrong. They know and do these good things without being taught to do them. By knowing these things are ethically wrong, by knowing these things are ethically good, proves they have the knowledge of God's law written on their hearts. So then, if they never come to trust in God with repentance and faith, their goodwill actually becomes a testimony against them. Thirdly, they are also condemned by their conscience. Verse 15b says, while their conscience also bears witness. The Greek word for conscience is sunidesis, means knowledge with or co-knowledge. Man realizes that he has an instinctive or built-in sense of right and wrong that activates guilt. It is true, unfortunately, that consciences vary in sensitivity depending on whether and how often they are obeyed or resisted. Consciences that are neglected or resisted may eventually become seared and stop giving warning signals about sin. Paul speaks of this in 1 Timothy 4, 1 and 2. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teaching of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. Lastly, their conflicting thoughts condemn them. 15c states, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. James Denny states it this way, their thoughts bear witness to the existence of a law in them, bringing accusations or putting forward defenses of their actions. In either case, their thoughts are exercising moral functions which imply the recognition of a law. God created our minds to think and ponder or contemplate what to do in various situations. We sometimes know what we should do and fail to do it. This is also a sin. James 4.17 says, So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, to him it is sin. Sins of omission are no less a sin than the sins of commission. Paul said it well in Romans 7, 15 through 20, For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells within me. That is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Even in his natural unregenerate state, it is not difficult for man to accuse himself 
when these thoughts dominate his mind. Other times, man can defend himself with his thoughts by blaming poor parenting or spouses for sinful actions. I'm going to date myself now. Eve, like Flip Wilson, said, the devil made me do it. Adam blamed Eve and even God for his sin. The woman that you gave me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate it. Man also excuses himself by pointing out the good that he accomplishes. Think Robin Hood, robbing the rich and giving to the poor. Think humanitarian deeds, giving large sums of money or time, helping those in need. Think acting with honor, being valiant, courageous, humble, honest. It is easy to commend himself when he does what is right. He thinks that piling up these kind of good deeds will outweigh his sins. He justifies his life. God's word, however, tells him that he is wrong. Isaiah 64, 6 says, We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like polluted garments. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities, our sins, like the wind, take us away. In light of this truth, I want to quote R.C. Sproul to introduce the last point. He said, The only way sinners can get past the gates of heaven is by wearing the robe of somebody else's righteousness, the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, there is an urgency to communicate the day God will perfectly judge every man's motive in life. Verse 16 says, On that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. Final judgment is coming. On that day speaks of the day when God judges the secrets of men. This is not referring to the secrets that man whispers between friends. This truth speaks of the secrets that he personally, successfully keeps from all humanity. He even believes that he's kept them from God, just as Adam and Eve tried to hide from God in the garden. Since God knows the hearts of all men, he knows man's motives. He is never in the dark about man's secrets and man's motivation. Because of this, he can correctly judge our motives for why we do what we do and whether they are good or bad. Listen to David's advice to Solomon. And you, Solomon, my son, know the God of your father and serve him with a whole heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. Did you hear it? Serve him with a whole heart and a willing mind. Why? Because he searches all hearts and understands every thought and plan. As you have heard from this platform before, you cannot fool God or hide from Him. We may all walk away from this verse and say, that is good instruction. That's what I'm going to do from now on. If we're honest with ourselves, we realize that on our own, we're doomed for failure. David also said in a psalm of confession, and this is Psalm 139, 
first three verses. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. The prophet Jeremiah proclaimed in Jeremiah 17.10, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. While these passages cover God's response to good and bad motives, we can also see God's reward for good motives. Look with me in Matthew chapter 6. Verse 3 and 4 says, But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. In addition, in verse 6, Jesus says, But when you pray, go in your room and shut your door. And your Father who is in secret, your Father who sees in secret, will reward you. For the third instance, Jesus in verse 17 and 18 says, But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Human goodness and morality is just that, human. Everything a man attempts is tainted with a lack of perfection, self-satisfaction, and self-praise. Our motivation may be to please others, please ourselves, or remove a feeling of guilt. Anything that is not done for God and through the power of the Holy Spirit is sin and unacceptable to God. There are numerous examples of men in the Bible who committed horrible sins and yet were still God's children. David committed adultery and murder. God could have justly demanded for David's life. Although these were sins that deserved death, they were not the bent of David's life. David is known as a man after God's own heart. His main goal in life was to worship and serve God. He acknowledged and confessed his sins before the Lord, trusting only in God's mercy and grace. Judas, however, an outwardly professed follower, upright and religious, had an inward self-focus. He eventually displayed an inward hatred of Christ and His grace. As God saw and judged the hearts of these two men, so He will judge all men's hearts. This coming judgment will be according to God's gospel, which needs to be a personal gospel. Paul says that this impending judgment is according to his gospel. What was Paul's gospel or Paul's good news? The gospel of God, as he stated in chapter 1, is that Jesus is the Son of God in power, according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, providing salvation from eternal punishment to everyone who believes. His gospel reveals the righteousness of God from the beginning work of repentance and faith of those who believe to their continual life of righteousness demonstrated by continual obedience and faith. Paul said his gospel because he was unashamed of it and there was no deceptive message of prosperity or the good life. On the contrary, Jesus promised that men would revile them 
persecute them and seek evil against them falsely for his name's sake. His gospel declares that God will on one day judge the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. How can Paul say this judgment is good news? Today's scripture reveals to man that he is guilty before God and without excuse for his sin. He will perish because of his sin. Well, that doesn't sound like good news. The good news is that you can be saved from God's judgment through personal repentance and faith in Christ Jesus. Listener, there is coming a day when God will judge all men. God's wrath will be poured out on all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. You and I have suppressed the truth. You and I are guilty before God. You and I cannot plead ignorance of God's truth as our alibi for guiltlessness. You and I have seen God revealed in creation. You and I are unable to live a life of obedience to God, but instead have lived a life bent towards sin and Satan. You and I have a conscience given by God that reveals what is right and wrong and consequently produces guilt. You and I, like Adam and Eve, have believed the lie that we will be like God. You and I have conflicting thoughts that open our eyes and accuse us. You and I have thoughts that excuse us by blaming others and even God Himself for the sin that produces a life of death while we live. The good news is extended to you this morning. God so loved the world in such a way that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in, trusts in, relies on Him will not perish or have a life of never-ending torment, but have everlasting life, a life that never ends in the presence of God. His life, death, and resurrection have paid your sin debt. If you believe in His work on the cross, which takes the punishment for your sins and provides you with His righteousness, you will be blessed and stand before God not guilty. If you have not yet repented of your sin and responded in faith to follow Christ, today is the day of salvation. Believers, we have a paramount responsibility to communicate this good news to the whole world. You and I have a sobering and urgent responsibility to tell the whole world there will be a day of judgment. God will judge the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. If they have not trusted Jesus, their name will not be written down in the Lamb's book of life. What men and women have decided about Jesus will seal their destiny. Romans 9, 1-3 reveals the Apostle Paul's heart for his fellow countrymen. I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. In 2 Corinthians 5, Paul also gives us God's instruction. Verse 11 says, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, 
we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. Verses 18 through 21 say, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making His appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that the world might be saved. Will a passion like this for the souls of men make you look radical? Of course it will. Can we join Paul in his burden for Israel with an identical passion for the salvation of our families, friends, and the world? I say yes, we can, and we should. We just recently were admonished not to be hypocrites. Can we truly convey this message if we are? Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 10, 32 and 33, give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. We must not be an obstacle to salvation. To communicate the opposite of this, Charles Spurgeon said this, If sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions. And let not one go unwarned and unprayed for. If you're going to be an obstacle, be an obstacle to hell. How do we do this? Jesus gave us His command. Go therefore and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. It would do us well to hear and to heed our Lord's command. May our Lord grant us this burden and give us His power to proclaim the gospel of God to a perishing world.